Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like building grid-scale solar energy in Ohio and producing gas with fewer operational emissions in Texas. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Hi, everyone. Welcome to Joe's Weather World, your only weather podcast dedicated to Kansas City. Hi, everyone. Welcome to another edition of Joe's Weather World. And uh, part one of our podcast, or the most recent podcast we did, uh, was talking to a professor from UMKC about uh, climate change and how things are evolving uh, locally, regionally, nationally, globally, um, and some of the reasons why that's all happening. We kind of covered greenhouse gases and a few other more, for lack of a better phrase, simplistic things so that you can kind of get your mind around what what is causing uh, the situation that we're kind of gradually evolving into from a climate standpoint. We're going to get into a few other things now. I, I've got uh, a professor from UMKC joining me on this particular uh, po- podcast, and he's uh, been kind enough to stick around and help me out with part two. This is Professor Adegobke. Got go, okay? Yes, two in a row. Um, who's helping us out with this? So, if you want the more basic stuff, and we'll kind of cover some of the basic stuff again, uh, listen to part one. This particular podcast will dive deeper into things. And at the end of our most recent podcast, we were talking about the greenhouse effect and and uh, ways that uh, that's kind of manifesting itself right now. I want to kind of dive a little bit more into this because uh, we also talked about how. The world for eons, ever since it was created, has been going through natural changes, uh, warm cycles, cold cycles, and stuff like that. But what's separating this particular time period, and we're talking decades now as opposed to hundreds of millions of years, is that the acceleration that we're seeing in the changing climate is accelerating beyond what natural variability uh, would dictate. And that's what we're kind of diving into now. So uh, once again, Professor, thank you uh, for joining us. And so let's kind of get into this. Um, how do we know, maybe we'll do a little recap here, how do we know that this is not natural variability? And how do we know that we were not predestined to be going down the path that we're going down now? Yeah. Well, measurements, you know, that's um, you know that's 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 the beauty of science data right right you know so um, you know just temperature measurements um, over the last fifty years or so this is actual data mm-hmm. you know if we compare that we started taking measurements in the U S here in um, eighteen ninety five so we have about a hundred years of actual a uh, hundred plus years right which sounds like a lot yeah. but again. Mm. Um, I'm very sensitive to what's referred to as POR, period of record. Yeah. And yeah, 100 years is a big deal. I mean, yeah. that's, that's good, mm-hmm. but it's, I mean, it's just a speck of time Yeah. when you look at, uh, you know, 
how long humanity has been around, how yeah. long the world is, the earth has existed. Yeah. So in a, in a weird sense, it really is just a speck of time. And uh, what I'm almost more fascinated by, yeah. um, especially because this is a whole other thing I wanted to kind of get into is data acquisition, Yeah, is, all right, so we've had thermometers since... 1700s when That's Fahrenheit right. scale is mm-hmm. uh, Celsius. Um, I'm, uh, you know, you could take a thermometer and, and they're manufactured and, and sometimes they're perfect, sometimes they're a little law. Just weird things happen, I think, sometimes with mm-hmm. thermometers. Satellite measurement, though, fascinates me. Yes, and we've had those from about this, the 1960s. Since now. the 1960s. Yeah. So how do we know... Uh, see, I'm already going down on a tangent. How do we know that those data sets yeah. are the data set that you might have from 1975 mm-hmm. compared to the data set that you might have now from, let's just say, 2015, 40-year mm-hmm. difference? Mm-hmm. How do you know that those two data sets merge up very well together? In other mm-hmm. words, hey, was there a problem with the sensor? We've got mm-hmm. a much better sensor now. Yeah. How do we make that comparison? Yeah. Well, that, that's, that's a valid question. That's a valid question. Um, but there's an entire science called around what we call data homogen, homogenization mm-hmm. or something like that, mm-hmm. you know. Um, and, and, and it takes into account, you know, changes, you know, in, in technology, changes in, in, you know, measurement styles, you know. So, so the record that we have, say, over the last 100 years, say, for instance, um, it's a fairly consistent record that shows us quite a bit of science goes into it. Um, just the data, the data, you know, the curating that data and, 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 and managing that data um, in itself. So I, I think that, that it's safe to say that there's, there's a lot of, uh, we can have a lot of confidence in 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 the data in in in, in the data archives that we have um, around um, around temperature around a whole range of other sources. But beyond this um, hundred year period, when we actually plus years when we built the the U.S. Um, uh, climate d- climate climate yeah. network. Um, Science has always, and this is really quite recent. This just developed, um, um, I would say, in the last uh, 20, 30 years of being a quantum leap in, 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 in ability to access other data sources, especially ice core data, uh, three ring data, um, you know, and, and these have enabled us to extend, you know, our, our understanding of climate variability and changing climate back uh, several thousands of years, actually, so this, you know, really using is. this really interesting, sophisticated methods, you know, uh, um, through through this whole science called paleoclimatology. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And this is where I'm fascinated by and, and in all honesty, I don't. Uh, understand this as fully, mm. but when you look at um, ice cores, especially, you could essentially, if you don't know what an ice core is, you mm. could go up to a glacier, whatever, drill down, yeah. take out a, a, a large tube of ice, and essentially track it back 
I don't know if you could go by the year, but you every could, year you can Correct. go by. Yeah, the year. because there is a record every year when you have snowfall, the snow that falls and compacts and compacts compacts along with it the record of the gases in the atmosphere. You know, and in science, they've been able to develop some really interesting scientific methods of analyzing the, 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 the ratio of oxygen, the ratio of this, and in comparison to, you know, different ratios, actually. Um, and, and that can be backed out into, you know, we can back out temperature information from mm -hmm. that as well. And so it's some, some really sophisticated science. Um, I, I am not a paleoclimatologist, I would, I would give that to, uh -huh. to you. Um, it's a whole new, it's a whole different area mm -hmm. of science, uh, larger. And we do have, in fact, on staff at UMKC, um, at least one paleo, paleoclimatologist really? um, who does, uh, she does more, Dr. Molly Davis, who runs our environmental science program. Um, she runs um, the... Uh, she runs a paleoclimate lab. Um, she, most of her work is using lake sediment data, actually. Uh, lake sediment data, so she cores, um, you know, uh, lakes around the world, <laughs> you know, and, and, and able to back out really interesting, useful information about past climate from, you know, lake sediments as well. So, so there are a range of data sources like this and techniques that are available. But I would certainly, if you want to dig a little bit further into this area of past climate and how we know what we know about, about past climates, I would say Dr. Davis is the expert in, 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 you know, um, probably one of the best persons around here to, uh, to, uh, to address that question. That could be another, <laughs> another, climate, another climate podcast has just uh, possibly come up down the road. So yeah. what we get an idea about, whether it by tree rings, especially from a precipitation standpoint, I would imagine on tree rings and stuff like that, is we get an idea what did occur. 200 years ago, 300 years ago, 400 years ago, 1,000 years ago. Correct. And so now all of a sudden, instead of looking at the last 20 or 30 years of weather information, climate history, now we could broaden that out just a little bit. The reason why I wanted to kind of circulate around to that is uh, a lot of what climate change, I don't know how to properly phrase this, a lot of what we talk about in terms of the future. Yes is based on climate models. That's correct. Okay. Now, this is where uh, I've, I've got... Uh, my thought process gets a little jumbled on this, and, and I absolutely acknowledge the fact that I'm looking at this probably not in the right direction. But as a person who uses weather models on a day-to-day -day basis, mm -hmm. and as somebody who will, as a viewer, will say to me, well, you know, your weather models weren't right five days from now, <laughs> how the heck do they know what's going to happen yeah. uh, 20 years from now? Yeah. And it's sometimes a, a, an, a, a discussion path that I, I feel challenged with. They're different models. Yeah. They're based on different things. Yes. And they're not meant to be as specific, I guess, for a local area. Correct. But... How how do you resolve that? Yeah. Well, that that is that's that's a really great question, Joe. 
Um, and and this this falls right in you know right in my wheelhouse. Okay. You know, a lot of the work that I've done, I've used very sophisticated climate models um, to to address um, and to do research and come up with um, you know uh, the, the kinds of results um, that 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 um, that we have. Um, those concerns are very valid. They're very valid, um, and that's why. Um, there is no climate scientist um, that is what his name, you know, that will tell you that this results about 2030 or about 2000, you know, 100 years, 60 years or, you know, into the future. That is a prediction. No, we do not make predictions about the future because we cannot, in fact, make predictions about the future. What's we provide is what we call a projection. So we use the best of the science that we know now. We make certain assumptions about that science. And we say that within this range of assumptions, we project that if A, B, and C remains constant, or if it changes within a certain envelope, mm -hmm. this is what you're going to project, this is what we project, will happen, you know, 20, 50, 100 years into the future. Um, and um, we, we, we also, around each of this, you know, there's a sense of what the uncertainties are. You know, every person who uses climate models will tell you, you know, that um, we make a number of subjective decisions, you know, about just to get the model to even run, you know. Um, and, and that's why. Even those projections are not based on a single model. So um, I have on the table here right now what we call the fourth national climate assessment. This was just completed. We, Congress mandates um, several government agencies. NOAA is the lead. Um, NOAA is the National Oceanic and Atmospheric mm -hmm. Administration. It's part of the Department of Commerce. So Weather Service is part of NOAA. All right, mandates um, a bunch of federal agencies under what is called the U.S. Global Change Research Program to do an assessment of climate, the current climate, and, and make projections into the future. Every, where we every, are, every, where we may be going. Every four years. Okay. The last one was just completed and released uh, last year, towards the end of last year, you know. And... There are usually, in, in this assessment, we have used uh, pro at least 30 different climate models, you know. And so when, when, you, when we make a projection within a certain, about a particular climate variable, you know, it's, it's really a, a, you know, it's, 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 it's a synthesis in some ways, you know, of... Um, the best information that has come out of these different models, you know. So, so that sort of increases our um, confidence in the results, but it doesn't still, um, it, doesn't, it doesn't imply that those are exact predictions about the future. I don't know if that helps, but yeah, that's the way we'll address this. It helps a little bit. I think... Um what we do sometimes in the world of weather, and, and we talked in part one about the difference between weather and climate. Weather, at its most basic, is like one pitch of a baseball game. Correct. Climate is like a whole season. That would be 
one way of looking at it, I guess, uh, in, in a baseball metaphor. So in the world of weather, what we do is when we're changing models, upgrading models, mm. creating new models, we have the ability of going back and looking at, hey, let's see how the model would have done with, for example, Superstorm Sandy or you know, inputting the information from days from, I don't know, two years ago leading up to whatever big weather event occurred. And let's see how that model performed in that type of situation. Can you do that with climate models? Can you look back at the 1950s, the 1960s, the 1970s, input that information into the model, see what the model spits out for 2010, 2020, 2030, and see how the model is performing? Is that a fair In fact, test? that's exactly what we do. You speak, you're speaking just, just like a climate modeler mm -hmm. right now. Because that's exactly what we do. So you, when in trying to do a climate model prediction or, 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 or run for the future, you know, you, 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 you first of all do an assessment of the model itself. How, how well does this model replicate current climate? Right. So you look back, maybe, you know, use data sets from 20, 25 years ago. You run that model 25 years into the future to today. And then you look at, you know, use the output of the model against actual data to sort of do your model assessment, you know. And, and that gives you some measure of confidence whether you could, in fact, even use this in any way to, um, to, 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 to make uh, projections into the future. Now, there's something that, that I think um, we need to, to, to sort of lay out here. Your job of predicting what's going to happen in the next three, four, five days is a lot more difficult than my job for predicting what's going to happen 20, 30, 40, 50 years ago. Now, why Bec do you say that? Yeah, because... By the way, thank chaos. you. But why do you say that? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> because the, the chaos factor in the atmospheric, in the, in the climate system, you know, you're dealing with a really chaotic system you know, on a, on, a, on, a, on a per second basis, really, mm -hmm. you know. And that's what you need to, and, and that's all, all captured within, you know, um, um, short-term weather forecasting, you know, because you're dealing um, with actual weather um, 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 uh, changes in the weather as, and, and, and the dynamic aspects of those changes as they occur, you know. Um, and a lot of it is just, um, it's just really um, unpredictable, you know. Right. It's beyond our, uh, 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 as, 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 uh, the space of, of predictability, you know. And yet, your mandate is actually to give us a prediction, right. you know. Um, but once we, when we're looking 20 years into the future, 30 years into the future, a lot of that chaos is smoothed out. It's sort of evened out, you know. Is so that a, a good thing or is that a bad thing? It's a good, it's a good thing from a science point of view. Right. Because it makes the job a little easier, you know. And it makes us, um, it, it makes it a little easier to be able to, to have confidence in what you're doing, you know. Um, I don't know. Yeah. But that's, 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 that's one that's one point that sort of 
eludes or evades a number of people. So when you look at how the climate models have taken in this data from 20, 30 years ago, forecasted or forecasting where we are now. Yes. Are you noticing any trends in the model data? Are the models doing well? Are the models underperforming, underestimating mm. the rate of warming? Are the models overestimating? Yeah. The rate of yeah. warming, and, and that's why you—that's why we end up with an ensemble, right? Ensemble right. is this average of this. Big of this fan of ensemble. Some of them will mm-hmm. um, overestimate. Some of them will underestimate, um, and some you have to throw out because they just do not—they're they're not really good at at um, um, you know what you want to do. You know, the other thing is that certain models are good. For certain things, you know, they 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 you know they you know so the Hadley cell model, for instance, may be good at you know capturing easterly waves and a whole bunch of stuff that happens in the tropical systems, you know, and 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 the the NOAA model, for instance, that we run here, one of our you know weather systems here, our models here, may not be that good in capturing that. So so at the end of the day. Um, you you make a subjective decision as to okay this model does really well over the United States for instance doesn't do as well in Japan mm-hmm. you know um, partly because it, you know the 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 science the the uh, the parameterizations right? you know parameterizations are you know the equations that we have developed to sort of represent physical processes you know we have studied the U S system a lot more. Correct. We know a lot more about those, so we're able to represent those better in the equations that are captured in those models, and so they perform better over the U.S. And, but they may not in other parts of the world. So you make some subjective decisions as to, okay, this is my goal, this is what I want to do, and um, and 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 this this set of models perform better over um, this domain, and you and you go with those. And, and would that as well dovetail into certain models perform better over land masses as opposed to ocean scenarios? Yes, sir. Okay. So this is a whole, (laughs) this could almost be worthy of a whole nother podcast, which we're probably running out of time for. But there, at least to me, seems to be very little doubt, no doubt, really, how our rate of climate change now is affecting oceanic areas Mm -hmm. when especially when when i just anecdotally look at what's going on in the northern latitudes what's going on um up in the seas uh, the arctic area around alaska how Mm. they're losing their ice at a ridiculous rate and they're not rebuilding Mm. that ice and and right now northern alaska still ice-free Mm. And it's virtually dark there now almost the whole time of the year. So what are we seeing from an oceanic standpoint Mm. um, in terms of – I'm trying to get around to – the ocean is essentially right now trapping, absorbing a lot of heat. Correct. And if it wasn't for the ocean, we'd probably see bigger effects on land. So now – What's going on with the ocean? Yeah, I think it's a question of um, sensitivity. Right. You know, so there are 
so if you take coral reefs, for instance, you know, so there's a lot of discussion, a lot of um, it's in the media Asses, a lot yes, about. Dying but that's coral. just because those those are those are uh, that particular environment, you know, physical environment is an extremely sensitive environment to even slight changes, you know, in in temperature. You know, so it becomes um, it, those changes becomes really pronounced and evident there. Same thing with the high latitudes. You know, mm-hmm. um, just 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 because they, those environments, um, the, the, you know, tend to be very highly sensitive to um, temperature changes, and and those temperature changes produce effects that are really pronounced. And you it, know, over time. Yeah. And that part of it yeah. is, I find, fascinating because, and we, we may have seen it during the month of October, mm-hmm. if you want to just break it down into a weather standpoint, where mm. this reduced sea ice up off the coast of Alaska, north mm-hmm. of Alaska, mm-hmm. um, it's keeping that area unseasonably, I don't want to use the word warm, but mm. higher than average yes. for that part of the world. Yes. And when part of the yin and yang of driving this back into weather, part of the yin and yang of weather is when they're warm, we get cold, typically, mm-hmm. here in the middle part of the country during fall, winter. Mm-hmm. And we may have been seeing that play out during the month of October. Because mm-hmm. when you look at the globe and you look at temperatures compared to average just for one month, and one month is not climate, mm-hmm. um, but you see this big huge anomalous cold pocket in the central plains through the Rockies up into parts of Canada and you see Alaska being so warm and this has been something that we've seen off and on for a couple of years several years now and um, I think we're seeing it maybe sort of starting to play out if there's no ice yeah up there and they're yeah by comparison warmer that cold air has to get released somehow and maybe we're seeing that play out now. Yeah. Well, um, you put your finger on something really, um, um, really, really critical, Joe. Um, the o- the Earth is what seventy percent water, right? So yeah. most of is this seventy something percent, mm-hmm. you know, uh, it's just water. So most of the Earth is is really water, you know. This oceans, this large ocean, 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 ocean basins, right? Um, and if you couple that with our understanding, what we know, you know, um, okay, I'm not going to talk baroclinic waves here and, and, you know, all that stuff. But I'm going to say, though, that the climate system is connected, you know. And so what happens in the global oceans, whether it's the Pacific or the North Atlantic, uh, it's intimately linked to what, how the atmosphere responds one way or another, you know. So folks here in the U.S., for instance, uh, they know about El Nino. Right. They would have heard about it, El Nino. That is an ocean process. It's an it's a ocean, that whole thing, <laughs> you know, it's, 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 it's the East and the West Pacific, you know, changes in in temperature and, and sea surface temperature and and, and 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 sea surface pressure. That is what results in that really important um, um, what we call teleconnection or or um, remote 
impacts mm. on, 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 on climate in the U.S. and, in fact, beyond the U.S. You know, folks might find it difficult to believe, but when you have an El Nino happening here in, in the Pacific, you would have drought happening in Namibia, in South Africa. You know, how the heck does that happen? Right. That's because our global system Very you know, interconnected. Is, is interconnected. Yeah. So what you're referring to now um, and is, is exactly part of that. This is not the, the, uh, the El Nino now, but this is the mm. North Atlantic os mm. oscillation, you know. Um, and, and that has a direct effect. On, so someone might be saying, hey, we don't really care about what's happening up there. Let the Alaskans worry about <laughs> the water. Well, you better care because um, it could affect those cold outbreaks that right. we affect here, and that sends us into this deep... Um, Periods of um, you know uh, of cold weather, winter, and winter weather. Well, how can yeah. there could be global warming, climate change? Yeah. It's so cold outside. Well, no. Well, yes, it is cold outside. But mm. the reason why it's cold outside is because of possibly what's happening in other parts of the world, other parts of our very own country. When you you know certainly have to include Alaska, correct? In that, in the Arctic region and mm. stuff like that. All right, so. There are like 18,000 other questions I've we could discuss, but I think we're going to have to just stop because <laughs> I've got to put together a weathercast for the newscast tonight. Uh, I want to thank uh, Jimmy for helping us out, professor at UMKC. Um, we may pull him back in here somewhere down the road uh, so that I could kind of go through some more of this stuff. This is the first guest I've ever had that I've written out questions on, <laughs> and I had like 20 questions, and I asked him about four. So uh, we, we kind of got into a lot of stuff here. But I uh, want to thank you for listening to Joe's Weather World Part 2 of our climate change discussion, and uh, we'll dive more into how the weather is changing, how the climate is changing in coming podcasts. But if you haven't listened to part one, listen to part one and follow up with this particular one and you'll get, kind of get an idea, a sense of what we're looking at, what we kind of know, and to some extent what we don't know uh, in terms of how things are going to be changing and how things are changing, uh, whether it be now or 50 years from now. Again, thanks so much for listening to Joe's Weather World. Dot Jimmy, thank you. Pleasure. For, driving, uh, for dropping on by. And uh, with that, have a great day. find cars like these on auto trader like that car riding right your tail or if you're tailgating right now all those cars doubling as kitchens and living rooms are on auto trader too are you working out and listening to this ad at the same time well multitasking pro cars like the ones in the gym parking lot are for sale on auto trader new cars used cars electric cars maybe even flying cars okay no flying cars but as soon as they get invented they'll be on auto trader just you wait auto trader